0: Genesis 25, reading from 19. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was married 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebecca became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished, he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew, I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said, what good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore on oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright.
1: I really appreciate that, Joe. You had no idea what was in that passage. <laughs> and I was tempted to give you the genealogy, but let's not. No, thank you, Joe. That's, that's wonderful. Let's pray and we'll have a closer look at this passage as we continue uh, in our series. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, it is powerful. Thank you, it is the double-edged sword of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that uh, your spirit will and can uh, convict our hearts and penetrate our hearts with your word, Lord. We pray that now you reveal your truth to us and just move us, Lord, so that we can respond well uh, to your word. Father, reveal yourself and challenge us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it did all start uh, in 1992. I think most of you were born. Uh, 31 years ago, it was a momentous occasion. And no, it was not the day I was born. It was the day seven strangers had been chosen and were locked in a luxury loft to have their lives taped and then aired on television to find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. It was the birth of reality television. Uh, (laughs) It's exactly the response I thought I would get. I'm gonna die. Um, And it all started with a show called The Real World. Uh, talking, fighting, laughing, and all the rest of it was all captured on what was back then known as a tape, uh, and then aired on television. And of course, 31 years later, this invention has done nothing to enhance our lives. However, it has given us the opportunity to unrealistically, ironically, invest ourselves into watching other people live their lives and emotionally investing into their lives so that we don't really know what our life is anymore. So we don't have a real life. In fact, there is even a reality show called Gogglebox, which watches people watching people in reality television. So go figure. But there is something intriguing about realizing that behind the facade, behind the makeup, behind the biceps, yep. Some of them have biceps. Behind the celebrity and behind the outstanding sporting abilities, everyone has issues and everyone has flaws in their character. See, reality television started because it was recognised that when we step out of our doors and engage with the world, we put on this other thing and we attempt to manage how others perceive us. We attempt to hide the reality, to keep up with the Kardashians, there you go, there's a reference, keep that in mind, keep up with the Kardashians, which was a show, or whoever it is we want to be. Well, this morning we're going to look at a chunk of the Bible, uh, three chapters of the Bible, uh, in fact, uh, with, which is pretty much a biblical reality narrative. It's concerning Isaac and Rebecca's family that is a warts and all reality of what it is to live in their house. Now, this morning I've decided I'm going to call it Keeping Up with the Isaacians <laughs> so that you don't forget. All right, so let's go into this Keeping Up with the Isaacians. Uh, the era of Abraham is over. We are told in verses 7 and 8. Of chapter five, at uh, 25, we are told Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man, and full of years, he was gathered to his people. He was buried with his wife Sarah. He died a very wealthy man, and was the father of the faith. We've learned a great deal about Abraham over the last few weeks. And then in verse 11. It says this, After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who was the promised child, a promise, uh, child of the promise, who then lived near Beer Lahai Roy." Now a small amount uh, of Ishmael's line is then given in a few verses, uh, and then we move on in verse 19 to the account of the family line of Abraham's son Isaac. And when you look at Genesis, uh, well, the word they use is teledot, which is you have these genealogies which are very clear markers through Genesis and they all line back into this covenantal promise. And this is a clear teledot, so it's a start of Isaac's line. And when they do this, it then usually becomes about the children because the children is what uh, shows the descendants of the line, and so this is where, what we're entering, and this is why we're going to deal with all these three chapters uh, in one this morning. So we've entered into this uh, into into this of Isaac. Now Isaac was the promise of the child of promise, but who and how that was going to play out through his family, we've seen Abraham, but his family, well, we need to know. And so this is a very clear account of some of the issues and some of the ways that God is going to have to work out his promises even though he has chosen to make those promises to a very dysfunctional reality called humanity. Now this morning we're going to look at this into three episodes. So keeping up with the Isaacians, we're going to look at three episodes of this TV show. Episode one is The Boys Are Born. Episode two is a birthright is for sale. And episode three is the blessing is stolen. It's very exciting stuff. And Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebecca. As we enter into episode one, the boys are born. So imagine a picture of a 40-year-old Isaac uh, on, the, on, the, on the screen. He marries Rebecca. Uh, she was probably a teenager. Then 20 years later, they couldn't have children for 20 years, But Isaac uh, prays to God. um, Sorry, yeah. Isaac prays to God, and Rebecca uh, becomes pregnant. Now, in verse 22 of chapter 25, uh, the scene is really set uh, in our in our first episode uh, for the for the tension that's going to and the conflict that's going to go through this whole TV series. You have a look at this. Uh, While well, the babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Well, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. Now remember, Rebecca doesn't know at this point. We do as the viewers, but Rebecca doesn't know she's got twins in her womb. And so she's got this stuff going on and in that culture they would go and inquire of their gods. And obviously she's come to the the God of Abraham and she's gone, why is this happening to me? And she's received this response that there are two nations in your womb. What a great way to start a reality TV series, I tell you. Two brothers already at loggerheads and we can't even see them yet. Well, the day comes and Rebecca gives birth to twin boys, but it's soon obvious they aren't identical twins. Esau comes out like a hairy red garment. Now, I've always come across that. Every time I read it, I think, wow, that's my child. Whenever I read it, anyway, I I can't help thinking, for those who are Star Wars fans, that she gave birth to an Ewok. Um, I I was going to put a picture up, but that might have been a bit confronting. But to reflect this uh, cuddly, hairy, red boy's features, uh, they call him not Ewok, but Esau. Um, But the jostling continues during the birth, and as Jacob comes out, the second born, he's got his hand around Esau's uh, heel. Now, I don't think he just thought Esau was his cute, cuddly teddy bear, there was an inherent power struggle that had started going on. And this is setting up everything that's about to unfold, even in the womb. Now, I have two boys 15 months apart. One is six, one is eight, uh, soon to be seven and eight. And I can tell you, this week we did some weigh-ins and some height checks. They are exactly the same height now, and they are 100 grams different in weight. Now, I can tell you, they might as well be twins. Everyone asks me whether they're twins. Uh, not identical, but ask me whether they're twins. They're not. But every time I pick them up from school, and as soon as we arrive home, there is a power struggle over who gets control of the house. It happens every day. It is about who makes the choices of what they'll do, where they'll sit, what the, everything. Who gets the first of everything? Who gets uh, the, to choose what colour... Uh, of the packet if they get a treat. Oh, I, want, you know, I want to choose the colour first and everything, just everything. And here we have two boys being born twins and they're already jostling with uh, Esau's heel being grabbed by Jacob. And if we're in this first episode, you can imagine that that's the last picture as, as it pans to the credits of this boy grasping the other boy's heel. The credits roll, uh, and the first episode of Keeping Up with the Isakians is over. Uh, I was going to get Nero to write a theme song, but I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I did think of one, but I won't sing it to you. <clears throat> anyway, so we come to episode two, and it begins in verse 27 with a montage of their childhood. So you can imagine these two boys of been jostling in the womb and we get four words of montage but if it was playing out on the big screen it would probably happen in 10 seconds of like bang 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 and this is what it tells us the boys grew up it's a bit of a letdown really when you think of it but suddenly we've got them as men and Esau became a skillful hunter a man of the open country while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Two very different boys, I have to say. But division and conflict is on the horizon. And in, we're introduced to how different these two brothers have become. But not only that, their parents have taken a liking to one or the other. Esau was out in the country. He loved to hunt and bring game in. His father was very similar. His father loved Esau. Yeah, Jacob loved hanging around home. He liked to snuggle up with a good book in front of the fire. Rebecca loved Jacob. So we suddenly have this division in the house, which isn't just two boys, but now there's a marriage. It's a far cry from Rebecca uh, serving uh, all the camels of of the servant last week that we saw when she was a teenage girl. Now we've got this power struggle in the home. Rebecca uh, has grown up. She's probably about 37 when she had her kids. They're now probably 22. She's pushing 60. So a lot of life has happened uh, between uh, these episodes. Well, the scene shows us something shocking, and that is that there's favourites. Uh, But the narrative then narrows uh, into a scene with Esau and Jacob interacting uh, as adults for the very first time. And this is where our episode really is. And you know the story well. Esau had been out in the country hunting. He could have been out there for days. He could have just been out there all day. We don't know. But it seems he wasn't very successful and we're told he was famished. Now, the word means exhausted, and it's more aligned to thirst than hunger. You can go a long time without food, but you can't go a long time without water. And the, word, the original word here is more about probably his thirst. And he needs to eat, but he also needs something to, to, to drink. And he literally says to Jacob, please let me swallow some of the red stuff... This red stuff, because I'm exhausted. That's literally what he says. Now it seems odd that Jacob is even cooking. Surely they've got servants everywhere, surely in their house. Well, I don't actually think they're in the house. I think they're probably, Jacob's probably down at some shepherd quarters, a shepherd camp, because they're out tending the flocks and he's taken over control of the camp. Because otherwise, what would Esau do? Well, he'd go running to dad or mom and go, hey, Jacob's not giving me any, and whatnot. But I don't think that's the case. I don't think they're at home. And Jacob's reply, however, is swift. And he seizes a moment he has been waiting for for a very long time. He does not hesitate. He sees this opportunity. And the grasping of Esau's heel is playing out in front of our uh, reality TV, uh, TV screens as we speak. Well, verse 31 says this. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Now, the firstborn son had a birthright and it related to the material possessions of the whole household. Uh, that was mainly what it related to. And so what would happen is when the father died, uh, all the sons would have uh, the inheritance distributed evenly but the firstborn would get a double portion so if you had 10 sons you'd divide it by 11 and give the firstborn two of those portions but if you've only got three, son- uh, two sons that makes a massive difference and so uh, Esau was going to inherit two-thirds of the entire inheritance and Jacob would have inherited one-third now you think about Jacob in this instance if If Esau was a couple of years older, he was the older brother, it's one thing. When you're twins, a minute? Like, come on, surely I'm just as important. And they have been struggling the whole time. And obviously Jacob has wanted to take an opportunity of this. And so he says, sell me your birthright. And you can imagine all the background music in the reality show stops. And we wait to see what's going to happen. And then Esau says, look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? That's pretty extreme. Does he really think his brother would let him die? See, if he did, it seems you'd, you, he'd take his weapons and fight. He's just been out in the country. I'm not so sure... He, this, is, this is all that's happening here. I think there's something else happening. I think the response here is showing us that Esau either didn't care about his birthright, either because the inheritance was so large he didn't care if he got a third or two thirds, or he thought he'd be able to just say it and then back out later because that's what we do with brothers. We'll just go, oh yeah, well, you know, dad loves me. So he's not going to like give Jacob two-thirds. I'll just, you know, whatever. I think there's something a bit more here. Otherwise, I think it would have ended in blows. I actually think Esau doesn't really think that it's a big deal to make this statement. But whatever the reason, Jacob gets Esau to swear an oath. And he does. And Esau sells his birthright to Jacob. So effectively, a bowl of stew for two-thirds, for a third, because Esau probably would have received a third still, for a third of the entire estate. Now, I don't see Esau as a very smart man here, but the episode ends with this statement in verse 34. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. In reality, I think Esau despised himself for what he's just done. But he's taken it out and blaming his birthright. Well, episode three then begins. Uh, in the interlude, uh, we have chapter 26, and this is focused on Isaac, and we're not going to look at that today, but there's a reinforcement here of uh, things that are happening in order to reinforce promises uh, and and etc. But we haven't got time to look at that. Uh, and then we come to episode three, uh, and uh, and and the picture here suddenly goes ahead uh, a great deal. Esau's now 40 years old. We're basically going 20 years per episode. Uh, Esau is 40 years old, and uh, and and we we're told this. In, uh, in verse 2 of uh, chapter chapter 27. Isaac said, I am now an old man and I don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, Esau, your quiver and bow and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. So here we've got Isaac preparing to give his patriarchal blessing to his son. Now there's a difference between this blessing and the birthright. This is a blessing which the father gave to the son, and uh, and they they expected it to be fulfilled. It, it held a lot of power, and once it was spoken, they believed that the the speaking of it was done. So once it was spoken over someone, that was it. Uh, now it wasn't a prophecy from the Lord, but they did think that the Lord would fulfil the blessing, uh, which it functions in this case. Uh, as it does, but uh, the expectation is that Esau would get the blessing, uh, but here we have uh, and here we have uh, Isaac calling Esau in. Now normally he would call his whole son like everyone in. This was a big deal. This was huge, but he only calls Esau. You can see the division everywhere in this passage, division everywhere. But where's Rebecca? Well, she's listening in to the conversation. And she's listening. And as soon as he says, well, go and kill me some game, it was his favorite food, which we already found out earlier, and bring it back and make me a feast. This is like us having a big family meal down at at Eric's Chinese, uh, uh, down here, whoever goes to Eric's Chinese. Uh, you know, you go. Oh, we're all going to get down to Eric's Chinese and have some Chinese because we've got a big thing happening in our family. Uh, well, this is this is a big thing, and he's he's preparing this big meal, but he's only told Esau about it. But Rebecca uh, overhears it, and what does she do? Well, she goes and tells Jacob. She is power struggling to the max. Now we've got this huge. Uh, this huge tension unfolding and she goes okay we're going to steal this blessing and you know you know how it works she goes go and kill a couple of goats she uses goat skins put them on his hands she makes she makes it into a stew that he will love uh, and and Isaac uh, Jacob is sent in uh, with this stew to basically try to get blessed and steal the blessing There is no doubt here that they are undermining everything. There is nothing good about this. There is no good things happening here. This is out and right stealing. Anyway, so Jacob goes in. He went to his father. And he goes, my father. This is verse 18. Yes, my son, he answered verse 27. Who is it? Well, Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Lie. I have done as you told me. Lie. Please sit up and eat some of my game. Lie. So that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? He smells a rat. Oh. The Lord your God gave me success. Now, not only has he lied, he's now used the Lord in order to get what he wants and to steal what he wants. Now, I've heard people uh, use... Uh, I was Actually, I was in Alice Springs of all places. And this guy come up to me and he said... And I heard he'd already asked a bunch of other people. Uh, and And he goes, are you are you a follower of Jesus? And I went, I am a follower of Jesus. He goes, oh, good, I need $50. And Jesus says, you should give it to me. I'm like, okay. I didn't see your name in the list of prophets. Um, But that's effectively what's going on here. He's just using God's name as if it doesn't really matter. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you're really my son Esau or not. Well, Jacob went close to his father Isaac, touched him, and he said, the voice is the voice of Jacob. Now remember, his, his senses are all going, he's getting old, he can't see. But the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for the hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he proceeded to bless him. And then he says one more time, Are you really my son, Esau? I am. Now, if you want to try to get around this story in any way, this is nothing but a reality TV show with the worst of the worst on it, so we can all just watch going, oh my, this is keeping up with the Isaacians. This is bad. And we love to judge. We love to sit there going, oh man, these people as we sit in our little reality homes watching them. Oh no, I can't believe they're doing this, but it's happening. And this is the Bible, and this is Isaac, Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. These are the patriarchal fathers. Okay, I want you to understand how bad this is. Isaac's not doing anything here, but Jacob's stealing the blessing. And this is the blessing. We're told in verse 27, He went to him, kissed him, betrayed him with a kiss. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations... Serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. It doesn't get much better. If you're going to steal something, you steal that. He has been given all authority over his brother, and he's been blessed with an abundance of everything. Now, it's not the covenantal blessing, but it's partly entwined in that, and that will come in the next chapter. But here, there's really nothing left to bless. But what do you know? Like a good reality show, just as Jacob's leaving, who turns up? Esau. What is going to happen now? Well, what happens is that they discover they've both been deceived. His father, Isaac, asked him, verse, <clears throat> verse 32, Who are you? I am your son. Your firstborn, Esau. What a stupid question, really. What do you mean? We were just, You just sent me out to get, to get food. But it all clicked in Isaac's head. Isaac trembled violently. Imagine doing that to your dad. He's on his deathbed. He trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him, and indeed he was blessed. When, Isaac, when Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. Not quite sure the tone, but he's, he's upset. He's crying. We're told he weeps. Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Isaac's realized what Jacob's done. Isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. Haven't you reserved anything for me? I've actually made him lord over you. I've given him everything. Rather than blessing, his father says this. Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. From abundance to desertion, effectively. But then we're told, and really this is where you would close the episode if it was me, esau held a grudge against jacob because of the blessing his father had given him he said to himself the days of mourning for my father are near then i will kill my brother jacob well if he kills him he then gets everything jacob's not married he doesn't have any sons that's the way he's going to get his blessing back Well, it really finishes just with, uh, with Rebecca realising what's happening, sends Jacob over to Haran to get married, uh, but before that uh, tells Isaac, oh, I don't want him to marry a Hittite woman, another lie. Um, you know, I'm sending him out there because, you know, I want him to marry someone, right? Uh, but as it unfolds, that does happen. But the curse on Rebecca comes because Jacob is kept... To work and work and work for his wife, and so Rebecca never sees her son again—the one that she loves. Twenty years Jacob was over there, and Rebecca never saw him again. But Isaac does bless him. He realizes what he's done, and he sends him to get the wife. And that's really the close of the three episodes, Uh, keeping up with the Isaacians. Now I need to apply this to our lives somehow. Uh, So this is what I want you to take home. I want you to realise that you're not viewing this. You are part of that reality TV show. Every one of our homes has stuff going on into it. And if you're walking out of your front door and putting on the facade and pretending that everything's fine, I can guarantee that that's not the world which the Lord sees. The Lord sees the true world. The reason this is in the Bible is that there's no need for him to cover up all the dirt, to cover up all the problems because this is real life. There's stuff going on. And the problem is, is that we sit at church and all we see is this stuff. We put on the facade And we actually sit there thinking I'm unworthy to do anything for the Lord. Or we sit there and we think, oh, I can't because I know what's going on at home. So it might be a good uh, intention that you're not doing anything because you think you're not good enough to do anything. But I want you to recognise that Jacob is one of the patriarchal fathers. And in fact, Abraham had his flaws Isaac had his flaws. Jacob, well, this is down and outright deception. It's using the Lord's name in a way that shouldn't be used. There is so much stuff going on in here. It is unbelievable. That's why I want you to see it as something that we often view as reality TV, which isn't real. But this is our lives. And here's the reality God is going to use you anyway, because it's not about you. God will use you. This is the whole point of the gospel. The point is, is that God has dealt with the dirt. He's dealt with the destruction. He's dealt with the breakdowns. He's dealt with the the trauma. He's dealt with all that that's affecting you, not because he's necessarily taken all of it away, but he has conquered it. And he has sent his one and only son to die on the cross so that when you put your faith in him, you don't look inside that television at your life. You look to that cross and you say, thank you, Jesus. And if there's anything I can do, I know I'm not worthy, but I look at your whole history and I see that the adulterer David is the man after your own heart. How that works. Well, what a gracious and compassionate God. You are worthy. Not because your life has been cleansed out of all this, but because Jesus loves you. That's it. Because God has chosen you. Because he said, you know what? Each one of you, yes, I could have judged you I could have left you I could have forsaken you but he says and all in righteousness and justice but he says no I will pave a way for each of you to know the fullness of my love and the forgiveness and the love that I have for each of you and I will not condemn you because I give you my son it is as simple as that Our worth is not in the life that is in our own television show. Our worth is in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. God does not look upon you and see you. He looks upon you and sees Jesus when it comes to whether you are worthy. He sees everything in your life, absolutely. But that's not what determines whether he loves you whether he considers you worthy, whether he will call you, whether he will use you, whether he will build his kingdom through you. No. What matters is that Jesus was worthy, is worthy, and will forever be worthy. The righteous lamb laid down his life for you so that when you put your faith in him, you are forgiven, you're set free, and you are set free to serve him. So that in love, despite knowing who you are, you take refuge knowing that Jesus is who God sees you as. Isn't that a wonderful truth? I want to encourage each of you. I don't want you to hold on to that baggage. I don't. You need to be released It is through the blood of Jesus you are released. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5.1. And that slavery is the law and legalism. And that slavery is being condemned by the law and legalism. And you know who does that? We do it to ourselves. And when we do it to ourselves, we are undermining the gospel. It doesn't mean you don't live holy lives. I'm not saying go about in your sinful life, but I'm saying don't let the sin and the destruction and all the stuff that you know stop you from coming to the Lord and serving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Father God, we come before you this morning. We know we are broken, Lord. We know we are sinners. We know that we don't deserve your grace and your love. But, Father, we open up a a few chapters like this, Father, and we just see the reality of, of life. Father, each of us has our stuff. Just as Esau said, give me some of that red stuff. We will have all this stuff. But, Father, we give you praise that you do not condemn us, that you have set us free that through the blood of Jesus Christ that you have paved the way for us not to be free to sin, but to be free to serve. Father, we ask forgiveness, absolutely, but help us not to condemn ourselves when you don't condemn us. Father God, I ask that each and every one of us here will walk in freedom and will be used for the glory that you deserve as you build your kingdom through each and every one of us. And I pray this in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.